Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading. I'm financial journalist Caroline Stephen. Great to have your company. Hold on to your seats, boys. There is new research which shows female investors outperform men. Meredith Jones worked on Wall Street for 17 years and is the author of Women of the Street, where she interviews 11 high-profile female money managers. Chris Tate read Women of the Street and was impressed with what Meredith had to say. She provides fresh data, stories and statistics from Wall Street on why if someone is wearing Louboutins and not loafers in the markets, then they may in fact be the better investor. We speak to the lady herself today on Talking Trading, Ms. Meredith Jones. Meredith Jones, all the way from Nashville. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading. Thanks so much for having me. People may be surprised to learn that female investors outperform men. Meredith, what does the research actually show? Well, there's a growing and very compelling body of research that looks at gender differences when it comes to investing. My research has focused primarily on hedge funds and private equity funds. And what that research showed was that there was a six percentage point difference over six and a half years between female run hedge funds and the rest of the hedge fund universe at large. When you looked at private equity funds, there was about a one percentage point difference uh, between the returns of female run funds and male run funds. But it's not just limited to alternative investments. There was an article recently where uh, TD Trading actually did a study and they showed that five of the top 25 performing mutual funds were actually run by women as well. When you look at the performance of retail investors through 401k investing or through brokerage accounts, you also see outperformance. And so all of this research is leading people to uh, understand that there is some significant differences between how men and women approach trading, and that it may be very profitable to invest with or like a woman. Is it possible one of the reasons the numbers have been so positive on your research, is it because you have been speaking to only the best and the brightest women who have actually made it on Wall Street? You know, I think that's very tempting for people to believe is that we've got some sort of bias at work. You know, you hear in investment research that you've got survivor bias and participation bias and backtesting and backfilling bias and all kinds of biases. And so I think people want to attribute this outperformance to what I'll call the best and brightest bias, that because only the best and brightest women make it through the gauntlet of Wall Street, 
that in fact what you're seeing is just the best and brightest performance. And if there were as many women on Wall Street as there are men, then you would start to see more mediocre performance uh, creep in and make the numbers uh, average down. In fact, the interesting thing about the research is that a lot of the research on gender differences in investing has been done on retail investors. And it's been done on a large number of retail investors. So for example, Vanguard did a study of over 2 million retail investors in IRA accounts. And what they found was that during the financial crisis, so 2007 to 2009, the female IRA investors actually outperformed the male investors as well by about three percentage points. And so when you look at that, you see that, you know, certainly it's not just the best and brightest retail investors that are being studied. It's, it's really everybody. And so it seems unfathomable that you would see these kind of outperformance figures within the retail market and not see those same kind of figures within the professional investor market as well. You've done a huge amount of research, including really in-depth interviews with top female investment professionals for your new book, Women of the Street, which I might add that both Chris Tate and Louise Bedford, who are the creators of Trading Game, are both reading at the moment. Based on this, you've identified specific characteristics that account for women's superior investment performance. You say that one of the characteristics is less overconfidence. So I'd like to get really clear about it. Are you saying that women aren't confident investors? And if so, isn't that a bad thing? Well, the difference is I didn't say that they are less confident investors. I say that they are less overconfident investors. So when you're an overconfident investor, you tend to believe that every idea that you have to buy something is a great idea. Every idea that you have to sell something, it's time to sell this, is a great idea. And so what you see within the male investor population is that they tend to exhibit more overconfidence. And what that translates into is more trading. And we all know that trading can seriously erode returns over time. And so the fact that women are less overconfident mean that they tend to be more buy and hold investors. They're less likely to be shaken out of positions uh, given market turmoil. And as a result, that is uh, one of the reasons that you can attribute such strong outperformance to. One of the things I think that's interesting is that Doing nothing is generally thought of as being an acceptable uh, investment strategy by women, whereas I think that a lot of men feel like in order to react to the market or react to news, they have to do something, uh, and that either means buy or sell. And again, those tendencies can, can significantly weaken returns over the long term. How else does women's investing behavior differ from men's? Well, one of the things that I briefly touched on was conviction. So one of the things that the Vanguard research that I mentioned earlier touched on and that my interviews really highlighted was that women are uh, very good at maintaining conviction within their investments, which means that they are much less likely to be sellers into a bad market. The Vanguard research showed that women were 10% less likely to sell into the market meltdown in 2008. And that's one of the reasons why they were able to generate returns of 3% higher because they were able to capture more of the upswing uh, starting in 2009. If you look at the women that I interviewed for the book, 
none of them were net sellers in 2008. Uh, in fact, a lot of them, uh, one of them in particular, Terzer Husen, who runs a very successful mutual fund, was actually buying stock on March 9th, which we all now know was the bottom of the market in, in 2009. And so that conviction really helps them to navigate uh, volatile markets, which we certainly have been seeing here in the United States over the past couple of weeks. Yes, here in Australia as well. The women you spoke with also frequently reevaluate their investment theses. In your opinion, why is that crucial? Well, I think that it's very important to know whether you are right and early or whether you are wrong about something. One of the women that I interviewed said something really, uh, I think, profound, and that was that it is rare that you are the only smart person in investing. So if you're doing this thing and nobody else is doing it, that either means you're early or you're a lunatic. So if you think about it from that perspective, evaluating constantly, is this still what are the are the scenarios that I'm expecting to play out? Are they still going to play out? Am I early? Am I crazy? Those are important questions to ask. And if you can't ask yourself those questions, you're much more likely to say things to yourself like, oh, it'll come back to me or it's too late to sell. So it's really important to be able to ask yourself those critical questions. Am I early or am I crazy? Exactly. (laughs) You talk about women having more, quote, out of the box thinking. How does this play out in an investment context? Well, one of the things that I noticed uh, and have noticed uh, quite a bit since people started uh, tracking the positions of some top uh, hedge funds, which generally tend to be run by men, is that there's a lot of herding into positions. So last June, for example, there was a period of time where 15 of the largest hedge funds in the world all had large positions in AIG. You know, you also tend to see, you know, there's all these articles that talk about, you know, hedge funds taking another bite at the Apple, uh, meaning Apple stock. And and so you tend to see a lot of similar thinking uh, when it comes to picking stocks. The women that I interviewed tend to think a little more out of the box. They're looking for annuity stocks, so stocks that may not be sexy. They may not be the next big unicorn out there, but they pay good dividends and they are they're going to have acceptable growth. You know, they may be something like uniform companies as opposed to technology companies. It's not just the next big thing. It's what can I really get into that I can understand that I can plan for and that I understand the market well enough to be able to set a reasonable return expectation. A number of strategies that were common to many of the women you interviewed, one of these is rule-based investing. What is it and why is it effective? Rule-based investing can really help you to manage your emotions when it comes to investing. And you know that you've all heard the, the term you fell in love with something and you just held it or you couldn't part with it. (laughs) Over loyalty to a share. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And so rule-based investing helps to manage uh, whatever poor trading hygiene you might happen to have. Trading hygiene, I like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so let's say that you buy something. A rule-based investment might be if this stock or if this investment appreciates more than X percentage of my portfolio, I'm going to cut it back so that you never end up over-concentrated in a particular investment. You can also set rules around declines. If my investment uh, declines more than X percentage points, then I'm going to exit that position. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't get back into the position, but what it does is it puts a handbrake on your thinking and it makes you stop, take a step back, review your investment thesis and say to yourself, is this still uh, the investment that I bought? Is, are the factors that I'm waiting to play out, are they still going to play out or has something fundamentally changed? It really just provides that kind of breath that you need to take when things are going either really poorly or in fact really well. And I think people tend to think about this on the downside, but they don't really think about it on the upside. And I've seen that bite managers before where they fall in love with the stock. It keeps going up and up and up. They're making great returns. Uh, I actually saw a manager end up with 80% in two stocks. And unfortunately, that run ended. And uh, when those stocks started to decline, his fund blew up. Wow. So falling in love with something and, and letting stuff ride can be a really bad trading habit. And so, again, the rules-based investing helps you to improve your habits and, and divorce your emotions from your decision-making. Meredith, let's talk about risk management and the different ways that men and women approach this from an evolutionary point of view. One of the things that people tend to say about female traders is that they are risk adverse, and that is not generally a compliment. What actually is the truth is that women tend to perceive risk differently. Women have a much flatter probability weighting curve, for example, which means that they do a much better job of, of matching their expected return with their actual return. If you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, if you were a caveman, you took a big calculated risk, there was a lot of potential reward for you. If you killed the biggest woolly mammoth out there, then chances are you got to marry a prettier wife, maybe you got to be chief, maybe you got the biggest tent or the biggest cave or whatever it may be, but there was a lot of reward there for you. If you were a cave woman and you took a really big uncalculated risk, then there wasn't a whole lot of payoff for you if you happened to achieve whatever the goal was. But if you didn't achieve that goal, what was going to happen? Well, chances are you were going to die and your progeny was going to die too. And so I think that women had to become more adept at matching their expectations to their reality. And so when we look at female traders, we tend to see this. They do an excellent job of matching expect expectation with actual. And so this filters through everything. Even if you look at the way that markets react, there is a theory that says that if there were more female traders in the market, we would not have as many uh, as much volatility and we would not have as many bubbles and bursts because women, again, do a better job of matching their expected price with their actual price. So they don't have a tendency to drive up things into a bubble. And as a result, you don't get those bursts that come after that. Husbandry of resources. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So just very briefly, do you think that that hunting the woolly mammoth and getting the big prize, do you think that's one of the reasons why men tend to get a little bit more kudos about their professional success than women in general? Or is that just a furphy too? Um, You know, I, I wouldn't say that I have noticed any difference in the female traders that I have interviewed for the book. Uh, I would say that they are all exceptionally competitive. They are all very proud of what they have accomplished. And they are all very motivated by getting returns for their investors. Now, one of the things I do think is that's interesting is a lot of the women that I have talked to in the industry tend to focus on the returns that they are generating for others as opposed to the uh, returns and potential income that they are generating for themselves. Sales, and, yes. And I think that's actually a great thing to think about. One of the reasons that has been put forth as to why more women don't pursue business or finance or investments as a career is because uh, women in general, and again, this is this is other people talking, not me talking, need to feel like what they're doing makes a difference, uh, that they're actually being a benefit. The women that I interviewed for my book do feel like they're benefiting society because they are generating returns for pension funds. They are generating returns for retirees. They are generating returns for foundations. And so even though the industry has tended to focus on compensation and big wins and ego, there is certainly that element that you're really doing good for a whole lot of people if you manage to uh, manage money for other people and, and generate high returns off of that. Meredith, how can this, individu- this information help individual investors? How can people change the way they think about the diversification of their portfolios? Well, one of the things I think that's important to think about is that right now we think about diversification along a set number of metrics. We think about it in terms of geographical diversification. We think about it in terms of liquidity diversification. We think about it in terms of asset class diversification. We don't really think in terms of behavioral diversification. And the best example I can give of this is that Let's say, for example, that um, you took a male and a female trader. Obviously, men have a lot more testosterone than women have. Women only have about 10% of the testosterone that men have. And one of the interesting things to look at is how cortisol, which is a stress hormone, interacts with testosterone. It interacts very strongly. And so when the markets are volatile or when things are selling up, your stress level goes up and your cortisol level goes up. So there was actually an experiment that stuck men and women's hands into buckets of ice water, which over time caused their cortisol levels to go up because it was uncomfortable, and then put them in front of trading screens. What you saw was that as that cortisol interacted with the testosterone, the male traders tended to make riskier and riskier trades. And so when you're in a market sell-off, when you're in a volatile market, If you think about the fact that if you only have male traders or male investment managers in your portfolio, everyone in your portfolio is trading as if they had their hand in a bucket of ice water. So they all may be different. They all may have different strategies, but they may be all behaving and thinking in very similar ways. And so one of the things that I would encourage retail investors to think about is how diversified are you in terms of your behavior 
within your portfolio. I think that's a metric that we're going to have to give more consideration to going forward. Tell us, how did the females react when their hand was in a bucket of ice water? What happened to their cortisol levels and what did their trading do? Uh, their cortisol levels also went up, but their behaving, their uh, overall behavior tended to stay pretty much the same. So with all this research that you've done, do you actually advocate only investing in women-owned or managed funds now? Absolutely not. Um, so so you're not things, sexist, you're just a capitalist. I'm, I am. I am looking to make uh, the, the best returns that I can possibly make, and I'm looking to have the best diversification that I can possibly have. And so if you flip the coin from the male side to the female side and you only have female investment managers, you're again only getting one level of behavior and cognitive processes within your portfolio. You really want to have access to both because over time, that's the best way to ensure that you have true diversification and that you're maximizing your investment returns. Meredith, we were talking about this just before the interview. You've been around people on Wall Street, all the high flyers. You were a high flyer yourself. You said that you're a lady with a lot of chutzpah. What did you learn? What do you learn from associating with these really competitive high flyers in the financial industry? I think that the number one thing that you learn is to have confidence in yourself. Uh, You know, this is not an industry for the faint of heart by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think that you learn to, uh, you know, maintain your conviction, hopefully not to the point where it it actually ends up uh, doing you in in some way, but to the point at which uh, it it helps you to, uh, to stay in the positions that you're in and the investments that you're in. I also think that it helps you to develop a pretty good sense of humor. You know, I could certainly tell stories uh, about things that have happened to me during my 17 years on Wall Street uh, that would make people either cringe or laugh, depending on how they they tend to view those kinds of things. Could you share? (laughs) I think that the the most important thing that you learn, uh, perhaps, is just not to take things uh, quite so seriously. Do you have any shocking stories up your sleeve that you feel comfortable? Comfortable enough to share? Uh, I think we would have to do those over a pint of Guinness. So <laughs> I'm going to re- restrain myself at the moment. Last words of advice to investors and share traders listening. You know, I think the best piece of advice that I can give to people is that there is there are a lot of ways to win. And the media tends to focus on these big, splashy wins, you know, George Soros's $10 billion bet, you know, all of those types of things. And one of the the things that I think is critical is to remember that that generally doesn't happen for a lot of people. And so sometimes just going with what you understand and what you can get your arms around and what can be a good long-term investment is, uh, is a really good strategy. You know, I guess the best way to think about it is... We all hear stories about the tortoise and the hare. Meredith, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week for an interview with Dr. Susie Green from the Positivity Institute on how to train your brain for happiness and strategies to build resilience and self-confidence. I'm Caroline Stephen, and on behalf of the team, Thanks for your company. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now.
The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.